0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's Sunday night. We still do Sunday night, albeit uh, online. Thanks for joining us. This is the last, the last study in the book of Romans, the letter that changed the world. The title tonight, The Deeper the Theology, The Purer the Worship. And I have a feeling that's a necessary title, because a lot of people think, you know, if you're just thinking theology and stuff, that's just cold intellectual stuff. Worship, that's like when the fire falls and we really love God. And those two things just seem miles apart. And I think what Paul does is bring them tightly together. The deeper the theology, the purer the worship. And here's the last text, Romans 16, 21 to 27. Timothy my fellow worker greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Susipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, I love Paul's so attached to Christ and the gospel, he just can't help it. My gospel. It's like my house, my car, my dog, but my gospel. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, 25, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. You can't bring glory to God if you leave Jesus out of the picture. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've come to our last session in the book of Romans. We've been studying this letter for uh, well over a year, 64 weeks. How is Paul going to sign off? How is he going to close? And I think he does it in a way that recycles some of the main concerns and themes of the letter. There's, this isn't an accidental closing. And I hope you see that as we look at it pretty carefully uh, tonight. First, point number one, Paul emphasizes the unity in the body of Christ. I get that in 21 to 23 with all those hard-to-pronounce names. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus. The city treasurer and our brother Quartus greet you. Strange. I mean, Paul sends greetings from people who had met him, Paul, but had probably never met any of the Romans to whom Paul was writing. Why would he do that? I mean what would be accomplished by sending greetings from Erastus, the city treasurer? Why would these Christians at Rome need to know that Paul's co-worker, Timothy, sent his greetings? It's like me coming up to somebody in the church and saying, oh yeah, Hank uh, Grabowski said to send greetings to you. But they don't know Hank, never met him. What is going on here? I mean, it, it, it almost seems like uh, just an insignificant gesture of, of politeness. But I think they're more than that. Here's what I think is happening. These Christians in Rome were having a tough time of it news of their persecution was, was getting around and spreading. And when you're, when you're under the heat of trial, I mean, real trial, your world kind of shrinks. It gets, all your attention gets sucked into the suffering you're undergoing at that present moment. And you kind of forget, you kind of forget that there are horizons out there beyond your immediate persecution or pain or loss. And so Paul introduces these persecuted Roman Christians to a framework completely outside of Rome. So the work of Jesus, the transforming power of the Spirit, was actually, it was extending way beyond the boundaries of Rome and Roman power so, Paul, what he's doing is he's trying to show these persecuted believers that God's work is a big work. They might not know these Christians named by Paul and the greetings brought to them, but they are all brothers and sisters in God's family. Nothing, nothing that the Romans are suffering can erase or diminish the scope, the spread, the big picture of the gospel of Christ. Maybe that's a good place to start. Just, just always remember the big work of God, especially when times are difficult. Call to mind the billions of lives where God is building his kingdom. So, Or remember those who are suffering right now in other places when you and I aren't suffering in the same way. It's the same principle in reverse. Remember all these people. Whom you've never met, they're your brothers. They're your sisters in Christ. The kingdom of God is is growing. The gates of hell aren't standing against it. So our confidence in the gospel is reinforced by every disciple transformed by God's grace. Remember the big picture beyond your own circumstances. Point number two. I'm interested in the significance of tertius, that little inserted greeting. One verse, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the name of the Lord. I know it's a short verse, but maybe we should pause over it just for a minute. We know Paul regularly wrote his letters with a a secretary, a sort of amanuensis is the technical term. We know that because at least four times he tells us he signed off his letter in his own hand. Signed it off in his own hand, perhaps implying that some of the other parts of it were written in someone else's handwriting. And yet in spite of that, Paul regularly begins his letters by saying, he is the author. The words, the ideas, are Paul's. Let me, if you flew over these verses, I won't, I won't belabor them. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes, to the church that is at Corinth. Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. He's writing it. He's making that clear. Colossians 1.1. 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints. This letter of Romans Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, seven, to all those who are in Rome. The idea I find forming in my mind is is this. So so the, the, the will of God and the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit continues so sovereignly that it isn't diminished by whose hand is holding the pen at any particular moment. So in other words, the spirit-inspired ideas are no less Paul's just because a secretary held the pen. The words are still his own. They're inspired by God. So Tertius writes his own greeting with the blessing, with the supervision of Paul, and in exactly the same way, The words of the text that Paul uttered are the words of the Spirit of God, even though the pen was moved, pen, quill, was moved by Paul. Thank God for an inspired text where the words are inspired by the Spirit of God. Three. Here's what I need to remind myself of. Maybe you do too. Point number three, just as we can't initiate the Christian life on our own, we can't be strengthened in it on our own either. I get that in that 25th verse. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So, so, so the sentence begins in this verse, and it actually continues right to the end of the chapter. It's a long sentence, so you have to break it down into its parts. So the idea of this first section is just, I think, kind of stuffed with importance. Because it, it answers the question, how am I going to grow in the Christian faith? How are we going to grow? I mean, that's, that's the issue. And certainly there are things we must do. We know them from years of church going and Sunday school lessons. And Paul, perhaps more than any other New Testament writer, he's pretty quick to point out the, the human maintenance portion of sanctification. But, but that's not the theme here. The emphasis here is unto him who is able to strengthen you. And, and immediately, at least my mind, it just, it just goes back echoing to Jesus' command, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. Not nothing in the sense of not being able to tie our shoes or earn a living, but nothing that can generate spiritual life. Nothing that can bring us to God and keep us close to God. We can do nothing on our own apart from the Spirit of God. We can't grow our own souls. So, so here's Paul's reminder. I mean, we're so quick to create systems and create mechanical procedures, thoughtless habits. Boy, I don't want to get like that. Thoughtless habits can be death-dealing to spiritual life. And Paul is just reminding and probably urging this ongoing dependence unto Him who is able to strengthen you. So... so it's just a reminder that for all of our emphasis on the importance of sound teaching and Bible reading and doctrine and learning, there will always be this portion of discipleship that never gets um, learned in a final sense. This is, this is the part Jesus um, was referring to when he, when he kept talking about becoming like little children. You, you're just at the feet of Jesus. No longer how long and how deep you studied and how much you know you're, you're at the feet of Jesus. There's that fleeting time, I've been thinking about that, childlike. There's that fleeting time in childhood when parents can't go anywhere or do anything without hearing those words, can I come, can I come, can I help? I remember, boy, I can remember whenever my dad went anywhere, when I was just a little boy, He would virtually have to sneak out of the house. I just wanted to go wherever he was driving. Now, there were no seatbelt laws. There were no seatbelts. And I would be in the back seat, and I would stand on the hump. Remember the hump? I would stand there and look over Dad's shoulder wherever he was going. Childlike. I can remember when we first moved to Newmarket 38 years ago. And uh, our kids were around three and a half and one and a half, and we rented a little house. And and every day when I came home from the church, I would see my two girls' faces. They'd be they'd be propped up in the front window, looking at the driveway, waiting for me to come home, watching for me, childlike. I think that's the heart. I think that's the heart Jesus was calling for, dialing in on children longing to be with Father God, relying on Father God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's constantly in need of being divinely strengthened. 25, unto him who is able to strengthen you. Don't let a whole day go by without some time of, of childlike, humble, drawing near Prayerfully, relying on God to strengthen and refresh your heart. Four. The lengths to which God goes to draw out our trust. That's the meaning, I think, of these. They're sort of complex verses. The last part of 25 and 26. Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. That's what we looked at according to the revelation of the mystery, so a mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, the prophets, has been made known to all nations, not just Israel, all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. This. Paul says that there's a way in which God brought saving life into this world through Christ. I mean, he's absolutely sovereign. He could have accomplished redemption instantly, quickly, rather than, you know, to use Paul's words, unfolding a mystery. In fact, 25 and 26, they almost appear uh, contradictory because verse 25 talks about the revelation that's been disclosed in the gospel and the preaching of Christ. And then verse 26 says that this mystery has been spoken about for centuries through prophetic writings. And you feel like saying, well, which is it, Paul? Is it a revelation? Is it a mystery? Is it old? Is it new? And the answer is, of course, it's it's both. Maybe Maybe the apostle Peter gives the clearest statement as to how the mystery is both new and old at the same time. Look at 1 Peter 1, and I want to look at 10, 11, and 12. 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, that's what he's going to talk about. The prophets, okay, so that's what Paul has been talking about. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 12. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, there's a lot there. I get it. But if you boil it down, the prophets knew they were writing for a later audience. That's in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They knew they had great news. They didn't have quite the full picture, all the details, so they wrote with anticipation. We read the full accomplishment of that revelation, the full accomplishment of history, with gratitude rather than guesswork. And all of that means we should glorify God all the more because, because we have a better understanding of the full scope of divine revelation. Consider, for example, consider the revelation we today have of God's patience. I mean, we can see how he waited through all the blunders, all the rebellion, all the disobedience, all the unfaithfulness of his people, and then after all that, he still sent his son Jesus at the appointed time. What patience God has. And then and then God's faithfulness. So we see his hand revealed over and over again through the centuries when it looked like nothing could possibly happen through that promise made to Abraham. You face stuff like that in life. How can God's promise possibly be true. So we've got this unfolding revelation that that inspires us with God's faithfulness to keep his promise, to keep his word. Or thirdly, consider the revelation of just how central the gospel is in the plan of God. I mean, what we now know is that everything from the temple to the priesthood, the sacrificial system, Never believe these guys, you know, you know, Brian Zahn does it, Greg Boyd does it. A number of guys do it, where the sacrifices never were God's plan, never were God's intention. That is just nonsense. All of these things show how how central Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross is for you and for me, that this wasn't some little afterthought of God. This was the goal of creation right from the start. So we get to see that big picture So Paul reminds the Christians at Rome, these persecuted Christians, we as well, that God not only accomplished redemption, he graciously prepared the world to recognize when it took place. Behold the great love and mercy of God. We're given enough preparatory revelation through the prophets to look back, and to see that the accomplishments of God through Christ weren't a coincidence, that He triumphs. God was unfolding the meaning of this whole creation in a way we would be able to recognize. Took too long with that point. Okay, five. Last point. God alone deserves glory because He alone is wise. I get that in verse uh, 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And and I don't know, when I read that, the only wise God, my mind just kind of flashes back to Paul's description of human sin in Romans one twenty two to twenty-five. Remember, to the only wise God. Now look what he said in one twenty two. Claiming to be wise, see the same subject? They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, man man-centeredness, and birds and animals and reptiles. 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, here's the reason, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Claiming to be wise. So, so sin, sin is in human wisdom giving glory to someone else or something else rather than God. The depth of human sin is measured by what elicits admiration and praise from mankind. What makes your jaw drop? What makes your jaw drop? Sorry, that defines your worship. And fallen people worship things and people like themselves. One worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So, back to Romans 16. That's what sin is. Paul says only God deserves worship. Okay, and then he picks, strangely, he picks one attribute out of many. He picks one attribute, wisdom. It's to the only wise God that glory is due, 16.27. And, and the reason... The reason Paul singles out wisdom is, I think, it's profound. I mean, wisdom is the capacity to know the meaning and the purpose of something. It's more than knowledge. It really has to do with, with knowledge applied, applied to a, a goal, an end, a proper direction that something is designed or something is intended. God deserves all glory. Because God, only God, the only wise God, He knows the purpose, the beginning from the end. So, so God is the polar opposite of this self-destructive tendency described in Romans 1. We're claiming to be wise, we give glory to whatever we want to give glory. This fallen, destructive tendency of humankind to fail to see the reason they exist. When we glorify God, understanding His inexhaustible, unsearchable wisdom, when we worship Him with that attribute fixed in our minds, we order our lives properly. They're directed to the proper end. They line up with His divine purpose in creating us in the first place. We won't complain, we won't second-guess, we won't fill our lives with trinkets and distractions, we won't follow empty examples, we won't blindly live for just the moment, turning our back on God's plan for eternity. No. Our God is the only wise God. And in a world where people clamor after blank substitutes for God... He alone is wise. He knows what he's doing in and through Christ. His revelation is certain. And the better we grasp it, the deeper our theology, the purer and the wiser will be our worship. And that's what makes Romans such a great book. And even though we're done um, our study of it on these Sunday nights, just read it over again and again and again on your knees... To him be glory forever. We did it. Let's pray. Increasingly, we love your word. We we love feeding and shaping our minds and souls with it. it. Let it never just be a theological download. May it, always be. May it always be growing our hearts in wisdom toward the only wise God to whom all worship is due. Keep us close to Christ. Keep us led by your Spirit. Keep us deep in your Word and help us to love one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Next Sunday morning, we continue in our Christmas series, Making Spirits Bright. Next Sunday night, we're going to start a brand new series, Soul Food. How we got our Bible and how to read it. That'll be a series we're going to be doing for a little while on Sunday nights. God bless you, church. Love one another. Join us for our prayer time.